Samuel 12, 19 through 25 this morning, and we'll look at a few other places as we go, uh, but that'll be our uh, home base for, for a while anyway. When I'm thinking about Thanksgiving, there's all kinds of places you can go in the Bible, all kinds of things that you can talk about. Uh, I chose this passage because of uh, the hope that it gives us, because we know we're sinners and we know we need forgiveness, and Jesus is always willing to forgive. It is hard for us as sinners, we all are, to imagine what it is going to be like to finally be free someday from sin's hold on us. Finally be free where we don't have to worry about sin tripping us up anymore. Just imagine all of us having Jesus as our top priority. And that'll happen when we get rid of the the sin in our lives. It'll always be the top priority. And that that comes from our heart, uh, not from our head. Imagine not sinning ever. A day goes by and we all sin, but not sinning ever. And being devoted to him by our faith and in our faith, in our service, and in our obedience. We are all that that, uh, concerned about God. That's all we think about and that's all we do. I think we would all like that. I think we're all looking forward to the day when we won't have to battle sin anymore, when we won't have to fight it on a daily basis. Uh, We can't wait for God to finally take this body of death that we are living in, give us a brand new body, one that does not uh, have imputed sin in it anymore, and that'll be broken forever. Adam is the one who brought that to us. Jesus Christ is the one who brings us freedom from that one day completely. Those bodies that we're going to get will never be sickly ever again. They will never feel the force of sin or the draw to sin in their lives forever. We will be perfect like Jesus is perfect in every way. We won't be God, of course, but we'll be perfect. We will have no divided loyalties. We won't ever need to repent of any sin ever again. We don't have to ever feel sorry for some of our actions that we have uh, been involved in. We'll never have to ask forgiveness, and even better than that, We'll never have to give forgiveness because people won't sin anymore. And we'll never have to make reparations for doing something that is wrong. And this is, I think, great to think about. And it isn't a reality right now today, but it will be a reality. And it is coming. And it's going to happen in a future day. We don't know when, when we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, but he said we will be. And that's the next event on the church calendar is for the rapture. We're looking forward to that. But in the meantime, we know that we all have problems. We're aware of those problems every day, and I'm talking about sin. How do we live in the interim between uh, this, this uh, place when we're waiting for God to come, and he's already saved us, but we're waiting for this complete perfection one day to come upon us? What do we do as people who are prone to sin? How do we walk with a holy God who knows my sin but has none of his own? How do we walk with a God who is sinless and we're sinful? What must he think of us as we sin? I hope we care about what God thinks of us when we sin. And today we have good news for those uh, who are prone to sin. And it is something that I think we should be thankful about in this Thanksgiving season because all of us share this problem of still being uh, capable of sin. Now, I'm going to introduce you to this this whole context as we go through uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Basically, just so you know ahead of time, Saul has been made king at Gilgal in in the ancient world uh, over Israel. 
he shouldn't be king because God was their king. And that's going to cause some problems. In fact, that's the sin that these people are involved in. That's the sin that we're going to think about today because God said, I'm your, your king. And they said, no, we want a king like uh, Naash and, and other kings of the area. We want a king to, that we can have in front of us and reign over us. And they were rejecting God's kingship. And at the same time, after rejecting God's kingship, uh, they pushed forward to get a king. And so God chose one for them. Now, that was a sin for them to do that. They realize their sin because Samuel's going to point it out to them, and they're going to repent of that sin. And then I want to pick it up, and uh, we're going to read 19 through 25. Samuel is calling out to the Lord uh, because of this sin. We'll find out what that's about. Then all the people said to Samuel. So Samuel said, you've sinned. He did something about that. God did something about that. And now the people recognize their sin. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to Yahweh your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all of our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king, a human king. Samuel said to the people, and this is important, these next two verses to, to really stick out in your mind. They sinned, they're asking for forgiveness, and the leader, Samuel, the prophet of God, says this, Do not fear. Now, if you're a Christian and you're smart enough, you should know that when you sin, there should be a reason for fear. And the fear is you've gone against the holy God, the living God, and he's going to have to do something about that if you don't get forgiveness for it. So Samuel's saying, do not fear. You have committed all this evil, the evil of asking for a human king. Yet do not turn aside from following Yahweh, but serve Yahweh with all of your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver. Did you get that? If you turn away from following God, if you turn away from obeying God, you are actively pursuing things that don't profit in life and are not going to deliver on what they promise because they are futile, they're emptiness, they're void, they're vain. Verse 22, for Yahweh will not abandon his people. Friends, that's why you don't have to be afraid. Yahweh will not abandon his people on account of his great name. Because God has a reputation, because of his character, he will forgive and he will not turn away from you. Because Yahweh has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Now that's addressed to Israel. But you as well are a people of God. And you've been called to be a part of the people of God. Don't forget that. For Yahweh will not abandon his people. That means he's not going to abandon you or me on account of his great name, because Yahweh has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, Samuel speaking, far be it from me that I should uh, sin against the Lord by ceasing or stopping to pray for you. Samuel's their spiritual leader. He's the one that God speaks to to tell them what they should be doing and where they should be going and how they should be acting and living. Uh, we, we know we can't count on Samuel's sons. They're completely evil and wicked, and the people know that. Uh, but Samuel is a man of God. Uh, but I will instruct you in the good way, the right way to go. And so he's saying, I would not sin against God by not praying for uh, a group of sinners like you who just acted in sin and asked God to not be their king and asked a human to be your king. He says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth. With all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king 
will be swept away. See, there's always consequences to sin, especially if we don't take care of our sin. I want you to notice the forget progression, and then we'll, we'll look at some minute things about that. Number one, you sin against God. Number two, you repent of your sin. I'm sorry, God, that I did that. Number three, take courage. Because of who God is, he will forgive you if you're repentant in your heart. Now you have a chance to go forward in your covenant relationship with God, renew that covenant, renew your walk with God, and from here on out, you're going to say, I am going to obey God and follow God, and that's the way it's going to be the rest of my life. Now, we all know we're sinners. We're going to mess up again, but the whole point is renew that covenant with God. When I was a kid, they would take us to uh, some youth events, and uh, one of the things that would happen is they would... uh, uh, have an altar call for the youth. So imagine seven or 800 youth in this auditorium in Denver, and we have a speaker there, and he's calling on people to either come down and trust Christ as your Savior, or you young people that are sinning and walking in sin and living in sin, you know you're not where God wants you to be. I want you to come down here and get on your knees and rededicate your life to Christ. In other words, he's saying, let's repent of our sin, let's get over that, and then let's dedicate ourselves Uh, from now on to serving God, and hundreds of kids would do that every time we went. Well, uh, that's where we're going, and that's what we're going to be talking about. In verse 19, so let's start back at the beginning, we must, as people, we must recognize our sin and seek forgiveness through the intercession of faith, and the intercession is prayer, and faith is a different issue, but through the intercession of faith, because they're asking Samuel, as God's representative to them, would you pray for us? Would you pray to God because we're sorry for what we did, and would you mediate that for us? And so that's what Samuel's going to do. Saul, the new king that they have, that they are making king at Gilgal, just led the children of Israel in a battle uh, to a great victory, a great defeat of the Ammonites. God was at work through Saul in battle. I'm going to turn back to just chapter 11 and verse 6. Uh, Even though Saul turned out to be a person that disobeyed God and didn't do what God told him to do, and God took his kingship away from him, I think you'll see him in heaven. Because the Bible says that he was prophesying with other prophets, and the Spirit of God came on him, and, and uh, I, I wonder what would ever happen that God re- would remove that for him. Well, here's another one of those places in verse 6 of 11. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words about the Ammonites, And he became very angry. God is actually, through the Spirit of God, instilling anger in the leader of the Israelites because they're about to go against the enemy and defeat them. And so it's an anger for a good purpose. So the people took Saul to Gilgal, and they officially made him king over Israel. And God was greatly displeased. Why? Because God said, I'm your king. What do you need another king for? In fact, God said, don't, don't pick up another king. I'm your king. Samuel's upset because the people wanted this, and God said, finally, give them what they want. Let them have a king. And then God picked the king. He picked Saul. And Saul looked very kingly. He was head and shoulders above everybody else, a handsome young man. Everybody said, boy, this is the king. And everything was about the exterior, not the interior of this man, because on the inside, he was not what he should have been for God. But the people took Saul to Gilgal. And God said to Samuel, you know what, don't be upset. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Well, I'm sure Samuel still felt some rejection. God was greatly displeased, and God is always displeased. When we choose to have another leader in our life that isn't God, 
that the top person in our life is somehow replaced by somebody else instead of God. And God needs to be at the head of our lives too. Why did they need a human king when the God of the universe was our king already? See, we don't need another king. We have Jesus Christ. We don't need somebody else. We don't look somewhere else. We don't look to the cults or the occult to find another God. We have the God. We don't need anyone else. Why would we need anyone else? And their desire for a king was a rejection of God and rebellion against God and uh, the authority of God. Uh, and we're going to look at a couple of verses here in First Samuel, so you don't have to go too far, 8. Verses 5 through 9, First Samuel 8, 5 through 9. And they said to him, Behold, now they're talking, the Israelites are talking to Samuel. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. That's an understatement. Uh, Samuel was such a godly man, and his boys were as ungodly as they came. I think that's because he spent all of his time doing ministry. He grew up in the temple. I don't know, but he didn't do a good job with his kids. And by the way, kids have to make up their own mind what they're going to be, what they're going to do. And really, parents can only do so much. But anyway, uh, Samuel has kind of lost his kids, and everybody knows it. Now, appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. They have a desire to be like everybody else. But these thing, this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. Then, he said, uh, then they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And Yahweh said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they have said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods. So there's many times they've already replaced him as king with Baal and Molech and other gods. So they are doing also to, to you. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Now what he's saying in verses 10 down through verse 18, he said, Samuel, I want you to tell them what they're getting into. They want a king? Give them a king, but warn them of what he's going to do. And Samuel lists all these things. We're not going to read it, but he lists things like he's going to take one-tenth of everything you own, your land and everything. He's going to take your children and make uh, slaves and servants out of them. He's going to take your property. He's going to do all these things that when you think about it, you say, why would we want that? With God as our king, I have all that stuff. I don't have to give it up to somebody. And God's taking care of us. But no, we want to look like other, other kingdoms around us. We don't have somebody we can call our king that people can see and lead us and judge us and guide us. And so give us Saul. And Saul is absolutely not the right person for the job. But God is going to teach them a lesson about what they're going to get. And if you think that's tough, wait till they get Solomon, who's going to take more from the people of Israel in terms of money and their kids and things like that than any other, any other person ever did on a great scale. So their desire for a king was a rejection of and rebellion against the authority and rule of God. And God says, give them a king, but warn them of what's going to happen. And they said, that's okay. You think we ever do that? <laughs> you think we ever think we're going to do something God doesn't want us to do? And he lists in the Bible, this is the consequence of what that decision is going to bring. Our high school young people were studying the book of Proverbs, and he tells them over and over and over again, based on the choice you make, this is what you're going to get. Do you want good or do you want evil? 
And these people chose the evil. I don't know if they said, ah, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Those things aren't going to happen to us. Let's go ahead and get a king. We can make it work. It's not a big deal. And it became a really big deal. Should have listened to God just like we should. Somehow as humans, we begin to believe at times that there's a human leader that can save us. There is no such thing. Somehow we believe that a nation has the power to stop the divine judgment of God on us or the consequences that he brings for our sin. That's not possible. We have the desire to want to be like everyone else around us. And I think we feel that more when we look at the secular people in our, in our uh, communities, wherever we live, and they don't have all the hang-ups we seem to have because we follow God and all the rules and stuff. And you look at them and say, well, I wish I could be like them. Wish I didn't have to worry about being good. Wish I didn't have to worry about, you know, not getting drunk and stuff like that. I mean, they're having fun. And God hasn't, you know, hit them with a wave of lightning from heaven, so why can't I do that? But God calls us not to. And these people want to be like all the other nations, the nations that God turned against, the nations that God destroyed, and they want to be like them. So God does what he often does. He gives people over to their desires. He gives people over to their sin. And it's never good for them. Never. The people recognize their sin against God now. And they ask Samuel to pray for them. So in verse 19 he says, they say pray to your God. See what they're really recognizing is that the people know that the prophet Samuel was the mediator that God chose between them and him. And apparently that's not good enough for them anymore. Samuel is an amazing man of God. His kids aren't so good, but Samuel is an amazing man of God. How amazing is he? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, and verse 1. A number of times in the Bible, God says, In your sin and my desire to punish you for that, I don't care if David and Samuel and Moses were to stand in front of me and beg for your life, I wouldn't even listen to them. Now, what he's saying is that I picked out three of the greatest men that ever lived for God in all of history, and he said, I wouldn't even listen to them for your sake because that's so bad that you, what you did. It says in Jeremiah 15:1, Then Yahweh said to me, to Jeremiah, even though Moses and Samuel, so here are just two of them, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, in other words, begging for the life of the people, my heart, God's heart, would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. He's talking about people that wouldn't listen to the prophets, wouldn't listen to Jeremiah, and they kept defying God and denying God. They didn't repent of their sins. They didn't believe Jeremiah, so they tried to kill him a number of times. They said, we don't like your message. Why don't you just shut up? And he wouldn't shut up, so they said, we'll just kill him. And they weren't able to kill him because God protected him. So if Samuel's asking and God said no, it'd be a problem. Today he's going to ask, and God will say, yes, I'll forgive. They have committed evil toward God, and now they're repentant. You ever, have you ever been there? Um, it's depressing when you find out, I sinned against God whom I love, and I don't feel good about that, and you want to do something about that. So in verses 20 and 21, God forgives, so follow him, serve him from your heart, and don't turn away into futility. God forgives. So this is the way we should respond to God. In verse 20, Samuel advises the people what to do in a situation that they're now in. We sinned, we know it, we're sorry. They sinned against God, they're repentant, 
And Samuel said, all right, in this case then, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know what? Uh, in those days, God could wipe out an entire nation because of their sin, and these folks knew that. God even told Moses a couple times, I've had it up to here with Israel. I'm going to get rid of them, and I'm going to start with you, Moses. I'm going to start with you and your family, and we're just going to do it all over again. And Moses pled with God and said, don't do that. We'll read about that in a minute. Someone who is fearful after he sins or she sins is in touch with the reality of what sin will cost him or her. We are not ignorant of what sin's going to cost us in our life. It's all over the Bible. And it's a fearful condition to be in, but Samuel is counseling hope to these rebels. And that's what I want us to hear this morning, because I know there's not a single one of us, including me, maybe especially me, who doesn't sin. And when we sin, we feel bad, and we ask God for forgiveness. And we need to hear, you don't need to be afraid because of who God is. Could greater words be spoken to those who knew better, but they went ahead and sinned against the Lord anyway? Probably not. In the second part of verse 20, Samuel recognizes the sin of the people. They have committed all this evil against God. What he's talking about is asking for a human king. They did it. He, they knew better, but they did it. He's going to tell them that God is not going to slay them for their sin at this point. He counsels them, then don't turn away from God. Don't run away from God. Don't try to hide from him, though you've sinned. Repent and run to God. Run toward God. That's where we need to go. So they are to serve him with all of their hearts. And what's happening here is forgiveness from God and advice so that you don't let this happen again in your life. To turn, and so I'm reading from the text there, you must not turn aside. You must not turn away. That word turn means to change your direction, to separate from something, remove oneself from something. Don't remove yourself from God. Don't run away from God. God desires that we separate ourselves from sin not from him. Turn away from sin. Turn to God. Then, that we, that, then he wants, to, wants us to stay on the path with him. Don't remove yourself from his path. Don't turn from his path. Make up your mind to serve him with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. He becomes our priority, is the point. In verse 21, to turn aside from God would be to choose that which he says is futile things that can't profit us, things that can't benefit. In fact, the word futile is the word tohu in Hebrew. And that word is used in the second verse of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was tohu vabohu. <laughs> I like to say that, tohu vabohu, formless and void. There is chaos in, in what's happening when, when the Spirit of God is hovering over the earth. God has judged for some reason, probably the fall of Satan, and he's going to start over with the creation because now it's been ruined by Satan, and God is going to create. And so it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was, was formless and void. And that's because of judgment. So this word has something to do with judgment. He says, turning away from me, tohu, is futile. And it's a word that is used for the wilderness, for the desert, for emptiness, for terrible, eerie, deserted wilderness and wastelands. It is the primary idea in the beginning of the Bible with what has happened with creation. It is non-functional, non-productive. And so that's what you're going to get when you turn away from God, young people. That's what you're going to get when you turn away from God, middle-aged people and old people like me. You turn away from God, 
uh, you're going to go to futility. And it doesn't matter what you choose. It's futile. It's, it's worthless. It's wilderness. It's desert. These things are not beneficial to life. Don't turn from God and run to the non-beneficial. Turning from God leaves a person with no salvation or rescue, either for salvation or if you're saved, it leads them then to suffer the consequences of their sin. And sometimes God doesn't always rescue us from the consequences of our sin. He'll save us and forgive us. Samuel is asking them to think about the consequences of turning away from God. That is, what is it going to cost you personally if you desert God? Have you weighed the cost? Do you know what it's going to cost you? And is it really worth it? And the answer is no, it's never worth it. It's futility. These things aren't beneficial. So, in verses 22 and 24, Samuel says, I have some advice for you. Fear Yahweh and serve him because he will not abandon you. Why should you not leave God? Why should you not turn away from him? Because he's committed to you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. Because he has a reputation to uphold. He's not like people. He's going to be forthright, and he's going to be truthful, and he's going to be true to his name. So in verse 22, we learn that, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because Yahweh has been pleased to make you a people for himself. So because of God's great name, his great reputation, he won't abandon his people. Good to know, because we're his people too. Good to know. God was pleased to call Israel his son. He chose those people. And if you belong to Jesus Christ through faith this morning, he chose you. And you're his people, part of them. Really, no other people would have ever done uh, better than what Israel did. We're all sinners. And today we still sin. He is a God of principle. And he is a God of fidelity. One of the places it talks about that uh, is in Exodus 32. And I want to read there verses 11 to 14. Then Moses entreated Yahweh as God, and he said, O Yahweh, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought from the land of Egypt with a great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself. Notice the oath was to himself. And he said to them, and God said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and of, of this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants, and they will inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. He relented of destroying them. So because of who God is, he will not abandon us, even if we abandon him. That's good news. Abandon means to leave something fallow, like like farm ground where you're farming. Leave it fallow. Don't mess with it. Leave it uncultivated. Or give up on something. Not bother with something anymore. God will never say to you, his child, I don't want to bother with you anymore. I'm going to let you go. He's not going to abandon us. God won't do that to you or me, even if we sin. But God wants us to come back. So friends, God was also pleased to make you his child. In verse 23, as a shepherd of Israel, Samuel will complete his task to his people. 
his God-given test. He would consider it sin if he didn't pray for them, for God's forgiveness, so he did, and God forgave. He will not give up teaching the good and right way of the Lord. See, you just went through a situation where you sinned against God. It was a big one. Now you're sorry, and Samuel says, repent and come back, and I'm going to continue to teach you the ways of God. Don't ever give up on learning the ways of God, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed. Come back and continue in his text. He's not going to give up teaching them the good thing. Now, Dr. Eugene Merrill, one of our professors at Dallas Seminary, where I went to seminary, a very, uh, very scholarly Old Testament scholar. If you have the Bible Knowledge Commentary, he wrote some of the Old Testament uh, commentary. He said this, and I, I'd like to think of this as the core of my message for you today, what Dr. Merrill says. So I hope you're listening. I'm quoting, and he says this, speaking of Israel, their past could not be undone, but their future was untainted and could be devoted to the Lord. Let me read it again. Their past could not be undone, but their future was untainted and could be devoted to the Lord. You know what that is? That's a second chance. Might be a third or fourth chance. Might be a fifth chance. Whatever it is, it's another chance. You know what you can say? I'm sorry for this sin. Lord, I don't want to ever do that again. Please forgive me. I'm going to continue to obey you. I'm going to continue to obey your word and do what you say. And I can change my future. I can change the rest of today. I can change tomorrow. I can change the next years of my life. And I can be in covenant with you and follow you and love you and cherish you and do it right. And that's what Samuel was saying to the people. Your past can't be undone. You can't change it. You can't fix it. It's over. But your future is yet untainted. And devoted to the Lord is the way it should be. What matters now is what you and I do today and tomorrow and the future. What matters now is that we move forward in the good and right way of Jesus. So in verse 24, we just need to fear God and serve him in truth from our hearts, remembering what he's done for us. What did he do? He died for my sins. He forgave me. He gave me a new life. And I want, I want to live like I have new life. An illustration of God's discipline or displeasure with sin, Samuel, uh, before he told about the Lord's forgiveness, said in verse 17, it is, not the, it is, is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to Yahweh that he may send thunder and rain. So right in the middle of harvest, he calls on God to discipline by sending thunder and rain. And you will know and you will see, because the crops are going to be ruined, that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to Yahweh, and Yahweh sent thunder and rain that day, and the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel, and they repented. So, we just need to fear him and serve him in truth. Do you remember the time when God forgave you for your sin and you became a Christian? That often brings people tears of joy in their eyes. God is in covenant with us. He's asking them to just renew that covenant with him after they sinned, and that includes running their life according to the way God wants them to. So this illustration that he did with the thunderstorm of God's wrath, Dr. Robert Bergen said this, God disrupted the wheat harvest to illustrate that people disrupted his, God's plan for them, 
And so the blessing is lessened. There's always a cost to sin. And the blessing God may have wanted for you is going to be lessened if we don't follow his way. Now, I hope you'll feel free. You don't have to, you don't have to give me credit. Please don't. But I'd like you to quote me on a phrase, and I'd like to use it often. Here's your phrase. It doesn't pay to disobey. You see how it rhymes? It's catchy. It doesn't pay to disobey. Please quote me on that to all your friends and neighbors and your family. It doesn't pay to disobey. Well, friends, Thanksgiving, and this is really about Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving includes the fact that Jesus is a forgiving God who gives us a second chance. Two things stick out for us with that. Uh, My first reader on my master's thesis in seminary, Dr. Robert Chisholm, said this, Despite rebellion, Yahweh offers security in exchange for a covenant renewal and allegiance to him. God says, let's just start over. Let's renew our covenant with each other. Dr. Chisholm also said, Yahweh remains faithful to his covenant commitment, even when we are unworthy. And pretty much we're unworthy every day (laughs) because we're all sinners, saved by grace. I am so thankful for a God who forgives. Are you? And is faithful even when I am not faithful to him? I am thankful for God who is willing to give a second, third, fourth, fifth chance to one who maybe doesn't deserve it. I am thankful that he is willing to instruct me again and again. I am thankful, and I hope I'm talking for you too, that he hears my prayers and sees my heart when asking for forgiveness. Like you, it makes me want to obey better and more. And today I wanted to end our time uh, with a poem from a man by the name of uh, John Dunn, uh, D-O-N-N-E, who knew what it was like to experience God's forgiveness. Now, um, some of these poems, the way they're written, are a little hard to understand. I want you to just think, but John is dealing with this. In the past, I was a sinner, and God forgave me, but his work with me is not done. I moved ahead, and I committed more sin today, but God's not done with me yet. And it's not until I actually die that God's going to be done with me and taking care of my sin. And that's the progression of what he's saying in words that we're not always so used to. But here's what he says. Will you forgive that sin where I begun? Which was my sin, though it were done before? Will you forgive that sin through which I run and do run still? though still I do deplore. When you have done, you have not done, for I have more. Will you forgive that sin which I have won others to sin and made my sin their door? Will you forgive that sin which I did shun a year or two but wallowed in the score? When you have done, you have not done, for I have more. I have a sin of fear that when I have spun my last thread, I shall perish on the shore. But swear by yourself that at my death your sunshine, S-O-N, sunshine, shine, shall shine as he shines now and hitheretofore. And having done that, you have done. I fear no more. 
maybe I should have printed that for your bulletin, but uh, he gets it. Do you get it? God forgives. Friends, that's something to be thankful for. And he keeps teaching us. Let's pray. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know what manner of creature we are, that we have inherited sin, we're prone to it. Even though you've saved us and given us a new life and a living spirit, we still fight the, the feelings of that old nature. And until we get a new body, you're not going to be done with us. But we're looking forward to that day with thanksgiving when you will never have to forgive us again. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.